Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 245, the June 1989 issue on sale February 21st of 1989. Cover price of a dollar, and this one's titled Men. I hate this issue. Me too. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yep. The cover is, well, well, it's the men. It's Wolverine, Havoc, Longshot, and Colossus, and they're all, they all look weird. And they all look weird because they're drawn by Rob Liefeld. <laughs> yes, this whole issue is drawn by early Rob Liefeld, still figuring stuff out, although some stuff he never figured out. There's, yeah, I mean, you can definitely see <clears throat> the future of Rob Liefeld in, in the drawings here. Um uh, I don't think it helps that Dan Green is inking him. Maybe. Maybe uh, that's a problem. I mean, who, I, who, who normally inks him? I have no idea. It'll be interesting as we get into uh, New Mutants when he kind of more or less hits his stride. Although, I think we've talked about this before. My, my remembrance of X-Force, uh, which is where I really discovered Rob Liefeld, um, I feel like three-quarters of the panels were like splashy and nice and then a quarter of them were just terrible <laughs> probably i mean i think he put all of his energy into those splash panels and those those splash panels are really what you remember about him i mean that was the thing that you didn't see as splashy in comic books until around this time yeah we're getting close to that period we're not quite there uh but we're getting there um Always liked his covers, you know, in X-Force anyways, and, and probably later New Mutants. Not this one, though. But no, Wolverine's too squat and too wide. Long shot looks wrong. Um, at first glance, it almost looks like he's trying to copy uh, Eric Larson. Early, early Eric Larson. Perhaps. I mean, I feel like all of those guys kind of leached off of each other, like, I definitely see some McFarlane in Liefeld's early stuff. Mm -hmm. So this Colossus that we see is uh, very similar to the Colossus that we saw in the Baba Yaga issue that I think was guest uh, or fill-in'd by Eric Larson. Was it? Wasn't it? Or was it somebody else I don't like? I think it was um, the guy that we Leonard Leon, Leonard Leonardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick Leonardi. Rick Leonardi. Yep, my bad. And to all of the Eric Larson fans, I apologize for confusing the two. I I actually grew to like Eric Larson's work on the Spider-Man comics. It's Rick Leonardi I never got the flair for. Oh well. So this yes, I I was completely mixing up names. The Colossus here looks like a old Rick Leonardi Colossus. But there's too many like like worry lines and wrinkles on faces. Uh he never really did that. That's more of a Liefeld thing. And McFarlane, to be honest. It reminds me of the Deadpool movie Colossus. Uh yeah, yeah, totally. Um I actually like the Deadpool Colossus. He was a little silly. He was better than the X three Colossus, in my opinion. Well, he was too serious. Yeah. Um, Somewhere in the middle is the perfect Colossus. Wolverine here doesn't have any eyes. Which is is a thing that is a uh, early, and maybe a later, I don't even know, uh, Rob Liefeld thing. He does not like drawing eyes. And for the most part, it's because he's not very good at them. Although there are some points in this issue that he is pretty good at it. But he does this weird kind of marble effect. And the, for some reason, the eyes frequently don't appear to be pointing in the same direction. <laughs> um, if At first glance, you almost think that Wolverine's just an old man shutting his eyes and he's got really poofy eyebrows. And then on second yeah. glance, it looks like he's dead and just has no eyeballs. <laughs> and Longshot looks like an aging rock star. Yeah, yeah, the issue does not do Longshot any justice. And, and uh, Havoc is more or less just kind of generic superhero drawing. Uh, the cover says, Ulp, we're surrounded by hostile aliens, says Colossus. Be a shame if something bad happens to my nice new jacket, says Wolverine, and right away you know you're in for 
comedy that is not written very well. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, was this Marvel method uh, where Rob Liefeld handed this in to Chris Claremont? And he was like, okay, let me just throw some dialogue on here. Or do you think they were out at the pub and they're like, you know what would be fun? We should just make a funny issue, like a really funny off-the-wall comedy issue. And then we ended up with this. I mean, generally, the we, we know that the Marvel method discussed, like, involved discussing the plot yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And then the artist going and doing something and then just the or the writer filling it in. This definitely feels like that. Um, there's a couple points when it feels like Chris Claremont is trying to write uh, around the plot to make things make sense. Yeah. Yes, it's. Pain, yeah, uh, uh, painful, painful. I was, I found it very difficult to follow this issue. My biggest complaint about this issue is that it doesn't make any sense. No, um, it really does not. The entire issue, just, I mean, this is like this is. You talk about fill-in issues. This is this is the most fill-in fill-in issue we've ever had. Yeah, but uh, there's no real plot here. Interestingly enough. Well, maybe not. This is one of those issues that I did not own because when did you say it was released? 1989, uh, February. Uh, huh. I don't know why I wouldn't have picked this up at my comic store. You said 1989? Yeah. Hmm. I had the next issue, but I just didn't have this issue. Weird. Well, you chose well, young <laughs> I, Jeremy. I guess. In later years, I would pick... Oh, actually, you know what? I can't even claim that this is in my collection. There is a very good chance that I do not actually own this physical issue. Well, you got to go back and pick it up now. I don't have to do anything, Adam. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that out of the way, we open it up. We get a full page, page splash of some very toothy alien, aliens who, who say, Look, guys, we've conquered lots of worlds, but here's one we haven't conquered. It's called Earth. And, f and right from the beginning, why is this guy saying men? Uh, well, because he's addressing his troops. Of which, I, I, I guess. <laughs> um, and the first, by the first panel, you're like, okay, you know, these aliens, they're, they're, they're okay. They're decent. They're good drawings. I'll give them that. Yeah. I don't mind the designs of the aliens. They're, they're interesting. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, well, this could go one of two different ways, right? It could be like another alien invasion, which seems a little too soon off the heels of, of the last brood attack. But then you open up the next page and you get a two-page spread of just every cliche. Yeah, you got your alien. You got pretty much every Star Wars guy. Uh, frequently, these people are in here twice. There's two ETs, two aliens. The, yeah, there's there's what looks like the back of a Star Destroyer in the distance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. You have an ET, at least one, an alien... There's Darth Vader, there's Chewbacca, I think there is a uh, Jawa maybe next to Chewbacca, or just a ghost-looking guy. Um, that's all I can pick out of out of this panel. But the next panel's got Alf, a guy who looks like a frog. Uh, I thought I saw Jabba the Hutt somewhere, but maybe not. Oh yeah, there's Jabba the Hutt, he's right there, and the Boba Fett. He's standing behind Boba Fett. There's a Yoda... And Bib Fortuna is there by the alien. This is basically the Star Wars section. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the the aliens are like, we're gonna we're gonna go conquer Earth, um, all of us. And there is a lot of uh, jokey dialogue written in here, and none of it's funny. No, which is which is sad because I know Chris Claremont can do funny. He's just not doing it. There's a guy here who's like, yeah, it's really bad. It's like really bad Mad Magazine. This feels like Chris Claremont let somebody else write this issue. Like his his kid? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or nephew or something. But there's a guy here who's like, bet you can't name everybody here. Another guy says, do I know you? And that's that seems like it would be like a, a Mad Magazine-y type thing. You've got an alien that says, bunch? And then, yeah, for some reason, there's a, a dialogue box that says, I'm sorry, that number is no longer in service, which doesn't make any sense. It's probably a reference to something. Uh, um, they keep talking, and the alien in the next panel goes, lunge, with an explanation point this time. 
Oh, is is it because uh, that word that I'm sorry that number is no longer in service is next to ET? Maybe that's an ET reference. Okay. Yep. Probably. I don't know why this one guy is saying, I, of course I still respect you. I I don't get that one. And I don't know if that's the same guy that's like in the foreground of the panel above it. Possibly. I don't, I don't don't think so. I don't think so, but who knows? I I mean, when I read this, I I looked at this guy that's mostly in the foreground. I was like, well, he must be a prominent character because he's got most of the panel. He's got a lot of detail on his face. Uh, but as far as I know, he, he's gone. <laughs> None of these people matter. This is Chris Claremont as the writer. Blah, Rob Liefeld as the guest penciler. Blab, booty, blab, Dan Green, inker, pillage. Tom Orzakowski, letterer, gratuitous, violence. Glynis Oliver, colorist, destruction, Bob Harris, editor. Blah, 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 Tom DeFalco, master bomber. And if you're not splitting your sides in laughter right now well then this is going to be a long episode (laughs) no this is going to be a short episode (laughs) (laughs) uh so one of the alien dudes i think is one of the toothy alien guys uh he says blah target blah australia blah and so i guess the four-armed alien is like what okay and he he punches up the computer and he finds out that this planet has rebuffed galactus uh was home of the phoenix and currently galactus's herald nova is living here and he's like this isn't a good idea at all yeah so he has to decide whether or not he wants to uh go tell somebody we need to stop we cut to the x-men um where first i didn't know what was going on but (laughs) what is going on is that havoc is watching all of the x-men including himself on the monitors you have naked storm flying above gateway which i have to imagine was just a liefeld thing yeah dazzler's shooting out of her eyes like she does now she's in a training i don't know like a danger room in australia so they've rigged something up uh rogue and Longshot are all in the same room for some reason uh rogue is trying to find the right boots they all look the same to me but then Longshot has those boots which all look the same <laughs> and she says oh you you got luck does it doesn't i don't know it doesn't make any sense colossus is trying to draw and psylocke is on guard duty with a really wicked cape i like the fact that havoc is watching havoc <laughs> and havoc is watching havoc wolverine has turned off his scanners again so his camera is white uh, he's not happy about that, but Wolverine sneaks up behind him and says, stop spying on me. Yeah, uh, and we get a argument between Havoc and Wolverine, which feels forced. It doesn't It doesn't feel like natural Chris Claremont writing. Um, everybody's eyes are closed. <laughs> yeah, they are. Or, or just hidden in shadow. Yeah, well, yeah, it's mostly everybody's eyes are hidden in shadow. So I'm guessing Wolverine has some, like, in in Rob Liefeld's mind, he has these monstrous eyebrows that protrude out of his forehead. Yeah. Which is why he's always in shadow. So they talk a lot about Madeline. The computers used to be Madeline's domain, and Havoc is trying to take over because Madeline never really had any oversight, and that led to her becoming corrupted, and Wolverine wants to know what's stopping Havoc from being taken over. Or corrupted. Um, don't call me boy. <laughs> and that's when Storm busts in and she's like, Stop it! Psylocke telepathically connected me and told me there was a problem. Stop. <laughs> we dare not trust these computers until we are sure they're safe. Well, how are we going to find out if they're safe if we don't fool around with them? And that's when Wolverine says, You know what? We're all on a short fuse. You ladies went to the mall. We're, we want to go to a bar. Yeah. So we're going to go get drunk. Yeah. So she, I guess, begrudgingly agrees. or I don't know. But uh, Dazzler decides to make up Colossus. Colossus is still unable to transform into his human form. So she makes him, she paints his metal flesh colored. This is the only sequence I like in this. The uh, Dazzler Colossus sequence. It's okay. I I like the reveal of where she's like, "Look at what I did!" And Colossus or, is all decked out with shades and it's all got his clothes on and stuff. 
My favorite part about that panel is that Dazzler is not on the ground, so she is leaping in that panel. <laughs> and I just have to imagine that in reality, it would just look like metal with peach paint on it. <laughs> Whereas in a comic book, you're like, oh, it looks like skin. He could pass off for human. She's a really good makeup artist. Yeah, man. So they they hop into Gateway's portal and they they leave. There were some eyes on this page. There were Wolverine's eyes. They looked pretty good. Although we get one of one eye and the other eye's shadow. That looks that's a terrible drawing. Yep. But the, the, these close up of the eyes in the upper uh, in the upper left hand panel is pretty good. Rogue wants to know how much uh, the guys are going to leave standing behind them, and Storm is doesn't. I wish you had not asked. Uh, they introduce something. The aliens with the big toothy grins have something called the gene bomb, which is kind of a funny concept. It, um, well, I feel so two things on this. I feel like it's too soon after Inferno, uh, but I also feel like they misuse this whole premise. Well, it's a it's a funny concept, but they don't actually use it talk about it later but we get all of the here's the gene bomb and it can disrupt relationships professional personal organic inorganic macro micro whatever down to the subatomical molecular networks that's all clever her, her mere presence will dissolve the most loving bonds prompt brother to slay brother and boon companions to tear themselves apart that's funny yeah. I don't know if that's Rob Liefeld poking fun at the whole Gene Gray thing, or maybe Chris Claremont is like, I really wish you wouldn't have brought Gene back. So here's my snub at you. They should have called it the Phoenix Bomb, though. Yeah. Either way, uh, this, yes, this, this page is fine. I also feel like since they don't fully utilize it, they spend too much time explaining it here. Well, there, there are pages and pages of, of, explanations of things that don't matter that's in true. this issue like once when, when we get to the second half of this book which we're ha we're almost there <laughs> the, well it's, the, it's gonna go by so quickly because it makes no sense the yeah I, I mean the problem i guess i have with this is all of that is unrelatable and i don't know what's going on at least with the gene bomb we have something to cling to or like i recognize that i know what that is this could be a interesting plot device in a comedic fashion Yes, it could have been, but it, but it is not. Uh, there's an in uh, intruder. It's the four-armed guy who who found the information about this planet being uh, so powerful, and they the captain toothy guy uh, orders him shot down. Hmm, whatever he had to say can't have been too important. No, 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 no. He's a minor archivist. Archivist. Uh, ar whatever. Archivist. Archivist. I think it's pronounced archivist. I'm actually not 100% sure on that. I don't know. Archives. Archival. I'm going to go with archivist. But you could be right. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they go to Sydney, whereas the ladies went to Hollywood or wherever they went, California. They go to Sydney, which I feel like they probably could have just driven to. Perhaps. There's a funny bit where uh, Havoc says, hey, guy, if anyone's interested in a real headbanger of a road trip, I've heard of this island where anything goes, a place called Madripoor. Uh-huh. Forget it, you boys aren't old enough, says Wolverine. Uh, Colossus points out that the last time that Wolverine and Colossus walked into such an establishment, they ran into Juggernaut. And a loverly time was had by all. Wolverine doesn't say loverly. He sure does. These <laughs> scootin' futzers had a loverly time. Shut up, butt brain. <laughs> so there they go into the bar, and uh, Longshot starts dancing with all of the ladies. Havoc's getting drunk. Wolverine's like, I have a healing factor and I don't get drunk. And Havoc challenges him. Wolverine's eyes are slowly receding into his skull. Yes. He looks absolutely dead. He looks like a skeleton with skin on he, his in the he face. He just has dark, cavernous holes in his head. Which is, uh, uh, ha or Havoc doesn't. Although Havoc, <clears throat> excuse me, in this, he kind of looks more or less cross-eyed. Yeah, and that's part of the problem with Rob Life. I think this is why he doesn't draw eyes, is because frequently people end up looking cross-eyed. That's weird. I mean, it doesn't seem like it would... 
I mean, I'm not much of an artist, but it doesn't seem like it would take much to be like, <laughs> let me put the both eyes in the center of the socket. Or if he's looking to the left, let me put them equidistant in the eyes to the left. I have a, I have a, I have a theory that maybe maybe he just leaves the eyes blank and then the anchor fills it in, but mm. I feel like that's probably not true. Maybe for Wolverine. Maybe he thought Dan Green was going to do all the eyes for Wolverine. <laughs> He's like, oh, I heard Dan Green does the best Wolverine eyes, so I'm just going to leave these blank. And Dan Green's like, you can't just have white sockets here. I guess we're doing shadows. <laughs> Colossus is conveniently, conveniently wearing uh, sunglasses. I do think this is a nice touch. Uh, his forehead is like half metal and um, half makeup, so... I don't know if the intention was for the make makeup to be wearing off or if the colorist was like, this doesn't make sense. He's got to have a metal head. <laughs> Either way, I like it. Uh, but he's drawing. Uh, they hear a bunch of noises. They wonder if it's an explosion or an earthquake. And then Colossus jokingly says, perhaps, comrades, an invasion from outer space. And they run outside and it is an invasion from outer space. Colossus does this weird, like, shatter star jump. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Shatterstar doesn't exist yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like up on yeah, yeah. one leg, knee in the air, arms outstretched. Dynamic poses. I mean, these uh, Liefeld, McFarlane, all these guys, I love these dynamic poses. So they run outside and uh, son of a gun, there's a whole bunch of ships flying in and Havoc says, I think I'm going to need another beer. And here's where the pacing of the issue uh, just kind of breaks down and it stops making sense. I think because of the pacing of the issue, um, I think we're supposed to understand that nobody is taking these aliens seriously. Everybody's just ignoring them. I'm not sure how much time is passing. There are people offering beers to the aliens. Everything happens very quickly. I don't know what's going on. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> I, I can't really add to anything you just said. Um, nobody's, we, we, nobody's scared. <laughs> All of these aliens are cracking jokes and acting like humans. I really wish... I feel like there's a story here, right? Like I feel like if if they would have spent a little bit more time or maybe talked this out, I feel like the point here is that you've got these these aliens that are just super disorganized and, and maybe they've bumbled their way into taking over planets before. I think you can maybe figure that out by reading between the lines, but it's not really, I don't know. It's just a bunch of things that are happening. And we jump back and forth between different aliens that we never really like, I get, I gather that there are a bunch of different kinds of aliens and we're just kind of going and seeing what these different aliens are encountering. And it's not very interesting. There's uh, not really a feeling of like, uh, like, like they're, they're mutinying or, Oh, that guy's stupid. And so I should be in charge, which could have added something to this issue. Like you could have done that in a sort of a humorous bend. And the reason that the whole, um, like it could have been like the X-Men don't really do anything, but just kind of like exist in the issue, which they more or less do anyways. Uh, but it could have been like they defeat themselves because of their own ineptitude. But it's, it's, yeah. it's Any, just, anything would have been better. <laughs> it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. It's like a, it's like a sketch comedy, but without comedy. It's, it's a series of sketches that are held together by the X-Men fighting and being drunk. Yeah, so there's these one-eyed, toothy guys that enter the bar. Colossus punches one, but then he goes outside, and there's a whole bunch more, and Wolverine and Havoc are having a beer. Ba-dump, ba-dump, bump uh, the, the mayor of Sydney gives up his mayorship to the alien because he's tired of his job. And you're um, right. I, it, it, it seriously is a bunch of sketches because <laughs> this whole thing with him and the mayor is it's, it's another joke, right? Like, we're here to take you over. Fine, you can have it. The job's yours. I'm past due for a vacation. And then you immediately go off to, all right, well, let's destroy the Sydney Art, Val or Art Opera House. Which they do. And then the mayor says, I've been wanting to do that myself for years, but... It is on all the past postcards and brochures, so I'm afraid you'll have to put it back the way it was. Yeah, so like, 
Oh, and that was a joke, by the way. That was a joke, right? So you had the first <laughs> joke, and the mayor's like, oh, I need a vacation. And then they blow up the Sydney Opera House, and the mayor's not freaking out. He's just like, eh, we kind of need that for the tourism. So put it back. <laughs> um, Longshot fights these winged uh, warrior women who um, hate men, but after a while he gets to their insecurity about how their wings are fake I don't understand this at all. Um, well, and he, then they he, end, they end up liking him. Yeah, uh, he he spends an like a lot of time like, oh, you guys are special. You have wings, like that's amazing. And you guys are so cool. And then then he's like, oh, but you don't have wings. But that's still pretty uh, cool too. That's still pretty cool. You can fly. Yeah. Even though your wings are fake, it's still awesome. And we spend two pages on that, and ultimately they decide that they're going to take Longshot to their queen. Which I don't think they ever do. I don't think they do either. Well, put a pin in that. We'll uh, we'll <laughs> see if that actually does anything. Well, Longshot comes back, and I'm assuming that... It, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Meanwhile... Uh, we cut over to the Daily Planet where we get a Superman joke. This was confusing because uh, in a – well, it's confusing because a page later you see a guy playing cards with black hair and a spit curl. And you're like, oh, ha, ha, Superman's in this issue. But it's not. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But yeah, they make a – I don't even – what is the Superman joke? It's the, They're at the Daily Planet and they're talking about the news. Clark Kent is at the desk in front of the globe. Yeah. And um, I, is there a joke here? The joke is um, that uh, aliens are attacking from Australia, and they're like, it's Inauguration Day. We don't care oh, about that. Right, right, right. Okay. So we're not going to cover that. It's not news. I literally read this about a half hour ago, and <laughs> I didn't remember what that was about. Yeah. Um, and then we cut back to the toothy aliens. Uh, I think they're on they, the moon, maybe. I think they're going to they they finally decided to let the gene bomb go uh even though it's going to wipe out all the the aliens that are on the planet as well. Yeah, so this is where you get back to the bar and you see this alien uh playing cards. And, and this goes on forever. It it's not, I, it feels like it. It's only two pages, but So it's it's a game between every Oh yeah, Wolverine's there. So Apparently Wolverine has a not great hand. I think they're playing um, Texas Hold'em, uh, even though the Superman-looking alien has five cards in his hands. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't make any sense, but somehow he knows. He's like, well, uh, let's see. I show three kings with a pair of sixes hidden, a full house against a pair of twos. So, I don't know. But <laughs> Wolverine says, I bet my life. You win, you can kill me. I win. Uh, dot, dot, dot. And then the alien guy's like, oh my God, he's inside. saying he's suicidal. Oh my God. I don't want to lose. And <sighs> I think he folds? He, he does fold, but not for a couple pages. Um, this is just dumb. It, the other, really the other dumb. thing that we get on this page is that the long shot is there. And I'm assuming that he must be dancing with the queen. Because he's surrounded by a bunch of oh yeah uh, yeah yep. heart stricken other warrior women, so maybe that's the queen. Yeah, and we don't really. I missed that the first time around because he's in the background. Yeah, um, I guess he's colored in one panel, but he's just uh, black and white in the other panel. And someone says the C three Tyrax, ugh, dancing with a male, but they hate men. What? So the ship takes off, and they're like, oh, the commander's leaving, and he's going to drop the gene bomb. And Havoc's outside now, and he's like, gene? Nah, it couldn't be. And so one of the aliens orders the rest of the aliens to blow the ship out of the sky. And they all start shooting at the sky, and Havoc says, you fellas call those blasters? Those aren't blasters. This is a blaster. I guess that's a Crocodile Dundee reference. Sure. And he shoots at the spaceship and blows it up. Says, and uh now what's all this about a conquest and then the issue ends because well, we go to it it does like another dialogue box comes in and they're like uh and so some stuff happens and they're back in australia yes um <laughs> and, th and this is where we find out that mr muscles folded against a pair of deuces 
Psychology, Peter. The pot simply got higher, and he was before I basically threatened him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, I'm crazy. And, I mean, never mind the fact that he has a healing factor. So it could have, I mean, executed properly? That could have just been a trap to be like, yeah, you can kill me. And when the alien thinks that he's killed Wolverine, Wolverine heals up a little bit, and then when his back's turned, takes him out. Like, that could have been a clever use of that. But this is dumb. And that is the key of this issue. Executed properly. <laughs> this could have been good. <laughs> and Ro or Storm is here and she's like, Ahem, uh, you gentlemen had yourselves a grand old time. I mean, she just looks mad. I don't know why, because yeah, I'm not sure why they're mad. None of this made the news unless I'm, I mean, I guess we don't know anything about Australian news. Maybe it was, but it's clearly not the X-Men men's fault that the aliens invaded Sydney and left. Yeah, and so Havoc says, think fast, bub, talk faster, as though Wolverine's in trouble somehow. And Wolverine says, darling, it was the best, and he bends Storm over and gives her a huge kiss on the lips. Nice. Which is probably gross because he's all drunk and stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was super slobbery and disgusting. I'm sure he had a couple cigars, so he's just a mess. And, uh, she's... But, of course, Storm goes off to herself and loves it and says, That man, those men, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. I just got sexually assaulted by my friend. That's funny. <laughs> oh, those boys of mine. Yeah. Uh, so, we have definitely seen Wolverine kiss Storm before, but it's been out of, like, a mutual, like, times are tough. I respect you, you respect me, and I don't love you in a sexual way, but I, I love you and respect you, and mm, let's have a kiss. And then they go off and do whatever. They, we've seen that before. This is just kind of gross. This is the opposite of that. This is disrespectful. Yeah. Well, but, And then the other thing is this is Storm. So Storm is wearing, like, this ridiculous bikini and and kind of being, like, your typical 80s, like, oh, you... It's Storm. That's not that's not Storm. So shame on Chris Claremont for either writing this or letting somebody else writing it and putting his name on it. Yeah. It's it's not funny. <laughs> Anyways. Um oh, um uh, as Wolverine is leaving from the kiss, he says, Yo, Alex, got a notion for a road trip. I know this place in Mexico. Rowdiest Cantina in the Gulf of California. I feel like that's a reference to Meltdown or no? Oh. I, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> because I think that story debuts very shortly after this issue. Yes. Yes, it does. So I think that's a connection. And then this last page, too, of course. It's probably the only important thing that happens, although I don't know what it means. Yeah, I didn't understand anything that was going on here. Um, so they're in the uh, a mansion that is owned by – okay, this is an epilogue where Tessa from the Hellfire Club is leading a bunch of Hellfire goons into what she refers to as the uh, Shaw Industries. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's dead. Uh, there is a bunch of bodies. And she talks about whether or not she's going to report this to Shaw. But since Shaw is no longer one of the Lord's Cardinal, this is not any of somebody's business. I didn't quite understand that. Uh, but basically the idea is that Donald Pierce has escaped. Yes. So that that's, I guess, important. I don't know why she's debating telling Jun Shaw about it. I mean, if it's his property, somebody's going to tell him about it. Why is it none of his business? Uh, this, this dialogue just you could, they should have just left out most of this dialogue. Yeah. And just got into the part where Pierce has escaped. Like they put a dialogue balloon or directly over some guy's head, which makes me wonder if his head was headless and that was inappropriate for the comics code. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so there, there you go. That was, uh, that was a really bad issue of X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> not, not much, not much to say about it. And I don't know if it was, if I don't, I wonder no, because I wanted to compare it to the Ladies' Night, but Ladies' Night was well-written, well-written, well-drawn, and more or less well-written, whereas this was just a mess on so many levels. Yeah, this was, this was, this. I, I, I blame 
and I know it's kind of silly to do, but I blame I blame the the storytelling of the artist on this, uh, just because I think it made the writers. And we saw the same thing in the last issue of X Factor that Rob Liefeld did, where uh, Rob Liefeld's storytelling just makes it so that the writer has to work harder and it doesn't necessarily work. And, I, you know, I'm not against Rob Liefeld or anything. I just feel like this early Rob Liefeld, it hasn't quite worked out as kinks. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a bad issue. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Um, so, I yeah. can't argue with that. <laughs> Yeah, get let us let us know what you think. Um, yeah, if, if somebody out there likes this issue, let us know what the redeeming values that you find in it are, and we, we won't be like critical or mean or anything like it. I mean, obviously, we'll disagree, but uh, I'm I'm curious. I I don't know. <laughs> I it maybe this was like the funniest issue in in somebody's collection. I mean, I can imagine a, like a, a little kid enjoying this as being like silly and far out and kind of ridiculous and maybe liking it for that. I don't know. I, don't know either. I just don't know. <laughs> so uh, let us know what you think uh, at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, uh, Twitter at danger room go. You can email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes. Uh, search up Danger Room, we're the first podcast that shows up, and you can subscribe or leave us a review or uh, a rating. Or you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN, that's 501-438-9636. Or go out to www.patreon.com forward slash Danger Room and, uh, you know, check us out there. Maybe maybe do a little subscription-y type deal. Um, also, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld And... We've got uh, got more. So much more. That didn't take us very long, so we've got plenty of time. <laughs> um, I read, <clears throat> excuse me, I read Excalibur number eight, which uh, continues to close the books on Excalibur. Uh, this one, Inferno, also, you mean? Uh, what? Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Inferno, not Excalibur. Um, this has a guest penciler and inker, Ron Lim and Joseph Rubenstein, and I'll be honest. It's not bad for for guest artistry and inking. I feel like they're uh, yeah yeah it's pretty good. I like I, it. I I I, I want to say that he is doing a, a a subtle imitation of Alan Davis, but definitely maybe not. No, I I got the same impression. All the artwork is very clean. Um, the figures are very heroic looking, which is kind of what I think of when I look at Alan Davis artwork. Whereas uh, like Rob Liefeld is very hash marky, um, uh, and Silvestri, he's got. I mean, obviously, he's got a very distinct art. Art. It's not as clean. Um, it's not as clean. Silvestri. Yeah, Mark Silvestri. Oh, okay. I'm just going through my, you know, ex artists, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, his his art's a little bit more raw, a little bit more jagged, but still definitely excellent artwork. Uh, and this is very very. Uh, no hash marks, really. Just nice curvy lines. Anyways, uh, the, closing the books on stuff. Also, I guess I should mention uh, Lois and Clark have a cameo in this issue. That's right. Yeah, somebody says, up in a sky, it's a boy, it's a plane, it's a guy. Holy cow, what a guy. So the Excaliburs uh, are still in uh, Manhattan, and they are actually they're in the States, um, but, but mostly Manhattan, and they're kind of cleaning up the books. Um um, Megan is having an identity crisis, both mentally and physically. Uh, she's still kind of haunted from being the, they make a mistake in here and call her the goblin queen, but she was actually the goblin princess. I noticed that, <laughs> but she keeps taking on the form of anybody who surrounds her. Uh, and she's also just kind of questioning like what her place is. Uh, and ultimately her, her physical looks take on a, black man's uh and she does oh and then toward uh, she keeps that for a very long time and almost wonders like why uh but then ultimately kind of reverts back to her blonde megan um um uh, facade when she saves brian uh now brian he's had some issues because he wakes up and he's like where's megan and he 
driving around town. Well, first he's flying around town, but then his powers go all sort of wonky, uh, and he can't fly, he can't lift cars, and so he's having a heck of a time. A couple people vouch for him, but ultimately he takes a cab driving all around Manhattan trying to find Megan, uh, and at some point in the issue, somebody pickpockets him, so the way Megan is able to save him is by taking money that some other people had given her earlier in the issue and paying she the cabbie. She earned from the basketball game. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> um, and giving the cabbie the money, and by saving Brian, she's able to revert back to her blonde form, and Brian is super embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Nightcrawler... Uh, goes to San Francisco, I guess, and uh, he liberates the SR-71 Blackbird, which I guess has been in storage this all this time, and today was the day that they were going to start pulling it apart because it had mystery componentry and nobody knew how it ticked. That's convenient. Yeah, so he jumps in and, and he flies it away, which is weird because I would have thought that the Blackbird would be parked somewhere in Texas. Hmm. Right, because that's where they went before they were sent through the siege perilous. Maybe somebody made sure that some somebody picked it up or something. Yeah, maybe. Kitty has an interesting little adventure. She goes to the mansion. She wants to pick up some things, but she finds it destroyed, and she finds the new mutants there. And she's like, you ex-babies destroyed the mansion, just like you destroyed Doug. You guys can't do anything right. Yeah, she's really aggressively harsh. Yeah, and look at Alana. You can't even keep track of her. You guys are terrible. And the poor New Mutants are like, uh, hey, a couple of us are actually older than you, and, you know, we're trying our <laughs> hardest. And Kitty ultimately is like, all right, fine. Uh, New Mutants are like, you should join us. And she's like, nah, I'm out. Bye. Uh, so that was weird. Um, Mirage does a thing where she's like, look, you can have Ileana and... Um, uh, Doug for as long as you want and that's weird yeah it is pretty weird <laughs> uh, Kitty's like no you can uh, that's fine we don't need them that's one of those things where you know probably a, not a great use of somebody's powers but I guess you gotta throw in people's powers uh, and then uh, Rachel goes to visit uh, her her brother uh, Jean is tucking Nathan Christopher Charles into bed, and uh, uh, Rachel has had, I think she's had a telepathic psylink with him since she was born. he was born. Something like that, yeah. Which makes me wonder, like, what happened to that when he was kidnapped? I guess you could didn't... chalk it up to Mr. Sinister, I suppose. He didn't call out for her. Could be. <laughs> So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff that ha I mean th nothing really happens here, but it takes a long time for this whole thing to get going. But but basically she's corresponding with uh, the baby, the baby's corresponding back, and Jean's like, hey, who who are you talking to? Who's out there? And Rachel is able to disappear. Um, eh, that's about it. She says she reminds us of the psychic link and says, if you need anything, just let me know. Love you, Jean, uh, more or less takes on the mother role of this child, which I thought was interesting. She does. She's like, uh, well, you're not mine, but you came from a woman who is a clone of mine, so you're, you're pretty much mine. So I guess you're mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a weird thing that I don't know how it manifests in X Factor. Yeah. Uh, as far as her, quote-unquote, being Nathan's mom. Honestly, I, I, was, I lose track of that whole storyline. As do I. I was wondering that myself. I read a long time ago, and I, maybe this is spoilers, but there is somewhere deep, deeper into the 90s, like way deeper into the 90s, where they address the whole thing, uh, and, and Gene and Cyclops have to do something with Nathan. Um, yeah. So I'm, I think I know what you're talking about. It's like a Cyclops and Jean Grey miniseries or something like that. But that, that happened, like, way after I was done collecting comics. So between, like, now and then, I don't know if they just ignore the baby or if the baby's with Moira or they just have, like, Shi'ar technology nannies. <laughs> no idea. Uh, and that's that's Excalibur. So, you know, fun little issue trying to you know, clean up after X-Factor and dot a couple more I's, crossing a couple more T's. T's and I's. 
So I read, and I wrote the wrong thing in the show notes. I read Wolverine number seven. Okay. And uh, the connective tissue between this and Excalibur is that uh, somebody calls somebody yum. <laughs> between this and uh, Excalibur? Yeah. And in the, in the issue you just read, uh, I believe it's Captain Britain is walking down the street in his tight shorts. Uh-huh. And people are going, yum. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And in this issue, uh, somebody says, yum, about a, a woman who's driving Mr. Fix-It around. Um, yeah, I think yum is a Chris Claremontism. It is. And I was thinking about it. And at first I was like, yeah, that's terrible. Then I was like, how else do you, in a comic, like in a word balloon, describe that you're attracted to somebody. And yeah. I thought yum, yum was a pretty good do, way to do it. It's effective. You get it. You get the message across. The only other thing I could think of is like, uh, uh, like a word balloon. That's like hot or something like that, <laughs> which is equally yeah. as bad. Sure. Sure. So this, this issue of Wolverine number seven is the first issue of Wolverine that I ever bought. Oh, and I, it might be the first, uh, Marvel universe comic I ever bought. Wow. It wasn't the first one that I read for sure, but I think this was like the first one I owned. Really? Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had other stuff like G.I. Joe and Gru and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Okay. But this is the first Marvel Universe proper that I owned. Did you see it and you're like, would you believe? That, that, I, that I bought. <clears throat> would you believe the Incredible Hulk? And you're like, well, I know who the Hulk is. That was more or less why I bought it. Yeah. Okay. Because I knew who the Hulk was and I did not really know who this Wolverine character was. Um, or maybe I did. I don't know. I can't remember. Sure. It's hard to, it's hard to put myself into my younger selves. I, uh, I would imagine that in the pages of your GI Joes and Grues, there was definitely Wolverine promoing comics. Right. You must've had yeah. like a passing, passing uh, recollection of, of Wolverine. Maybe like I even knew who Wolverine was. And I've talked about this with the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries, which I think that was 1982. And I would have been like six at that age. I wasn't blind to like Marvel characters. Like I, I knew I had read a lot of uh, Spider-Man when I was a kid. Um, and I was familiar with some of those Spider-Man-y sort of characters, obviously like uh, the the Human Torch and her, the Iceman for the Super Friends or whatever they were, not the Super Friends. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. Is that yeah. what it was? Yep. Uh, and I, I knew the Hulk and I probably did know who the X-Men were, but I, not enough to like really, like I certainly didn't know who Karma was in this issue. Sure. Sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah, this was, this was a good first issue for me. Although rereading it now, there was a lot of stuff that I had no idea what was going on. Cause you're right in the middle of the story and there's a lot of stuff about business that, never really made it clear to me. The uh, The moral of this story is that somebody wants Mr. Fix-It, who is the Grey Hulk right now, to go to Madripoor and figure out what's going on between the crime lords in Madripoor. Somebody who is heavily invested in the prince of Madripoor, who is, uh, I guess, managing the crime lords. The crime lords being Tiger Tiger, who we're familiar with, and uh karma's uncle who we're sort of familiar with and uh we get to see a lot of mr fix it just kind of crossing the united states to get to an airport and stuff and he fights some uh motorcycle thugs there's a great line in here that i remember from a kid where he says you know Chaz, you're what we in vegas call a pimple on the butt of the universe bet you know all that all about what to do with zits right Smart mouth, upper class piece of work like you. Sure you do. You pop them. Yeah. I like the panel where he's got his head in his big hand getting ready I to re pop his head. I will always remember that for some reason. Yeah. Some things you just stick with. Anyway, uh, Tiger Tiger can't get the armor off of uh, Psylocke's armor off. But luckily Wolverine talks about how he special ordered it and he knows how to, he can help her out with that. And uh, the prince sort of negotiates a deal between um, the well. The prince it turns out has a crush on Lindsay McCabe, who is Spider Woman's partner in crime. And they talk about some back issues of Spider Woman, I think, with her backstory because they don't reference it. They don't tell what it's from. I'm just guessing it's from Spider Woman. 
I like how Wolverine's just hanging out shirtless. Well, he's Wolverine. Sure. He's Patch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the the prince negotiates a tre- uh, treaty, sort of, in that uh, Tiger Tiger will continue to manage her side of crime, and the other guy will manage um, prostitutes and drugs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which is something that I did not pick up on as a kid. <laughs> and uh, Roughhouse comes in and tries to uh, harass Karma, and Wolverine knocks him out. And Karma takes over his mind, and Wolverine knocks him out again. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Fixit shows up at the airport, and uh, Patch is sort of following him around, seeing what's going on, and they end up, uh, Patch imme- or Wolverine immediately recognizes uh, that the Gray Hulk is the Hulk. I, I would but hope the, so. But the Hulk does not recognize that Wolverine Patch is Wolverine. Right. Because that's the way this comic goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Wolverine is his chauffeur for the day because after they got into a fight at the airport, because there were people waiting for Mr. Fixit. Um, She's a little, the chauffeur is a little shaken up. So Wolverine takes him back to his hotel. And then later that night, because the Hulk, uh, the Hulk during the day turns into Bruce Banner now. So Wolverine sneaks into his hotel room and sees that it's Bruce Banner. And he's planning to do some, some tricks, which he does in the next issue. And it's hilarious. You uh, skipped the, the best panel, which is uh, Mr. Fixit slash Hulk getting shot in the face. Oh yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. He 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 yeah. shoots him right in the face and it knocks his head off, and he says, "Definitely no tip." Yep. Good stuff. It's good stuff. This was mainly a, like a Hulk issue, so I think that was a good was a good icebreaker for me to get into the world of Wolverine. Punisher War Journal number six. I remember when this came out. I, this was kind of a struggle for me because I didn't really care what was happening. Yeah, it's not a very good issue, but it is drawn by Jim Lee, Oh, so that's kind of exciting. You know, I was looking, f- I didn't see the details of who wrote and drew this. Do you, what page is that on? It's, uh, it's, well, did you read it through the Marvel Unlimited? Yeah. Okay, they skip the page that has all of the oh, credits on it. Oh, because it's like a title page or something? Yeah, it's like, the, it's like the the back cover or something like that. Gotcha. Not, uh, like like the inside front cover. I got you, yep. <clears throat> Interesting. So, yeah, I did not is. recognize this as Jim Lee, and I don't think the cover's Jim Lee, is it? It is. Really? Um, it is Jim Lee. You can see his signature in the bottom right-hand corner. It's probably inked by somebody not Jim Lee, uh... which is why it doesn't necessarily look like the Jim Lee that we know. Yeah, the on Marvel Unlimited we have editor, letterer, colorist, penciler, and writer, but I don't see any inker, so I, I bet you it might be Jim Lee that's inking. It could be. It's it's not very good if it is. No, I would not have I was not impressed by this art at all, so I'm surprised. It is a great image. Like conceptually it is a cool image because you have Wolverine with his claws through Punisher's uh skull shirt. Yeah. And that's it's an iconic sort of image. Yeah, I don't like Wolverine's hair or his mouth. I'm it's a, it's poorly executed, but it's a cool it's a cool concept. Sure. The next cover is better. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it it there's hunting going on. <laughs> so the Punisher oh. is comes into the Punisher office, I guess, a day at the office, and he comes in and he's all like, whoa, what a hard day out there punishing. And then Microchip, who is his pal, says, you need a vacation. And they send him off on a vacation. Meanwhile, in Madripoor, (laughs) uh, Wolverine talks about how he bought the bar. (laughs) Okay. Madripoor in Southeast Asia, home to a seedy bar run by a mutant the world thinks dead. So, and he's acting like he owns the bar. I don't know when this happens. I don't know. I mean, we know eventually he owns half the bar, but I don't think he does yet in the pages of Wolverine. So I'm not sure if this is just confusion. Anyway, Wolverine gets on to a poaching plot, mm-hmm. like somebody's selling skins or uh, leather coats or whatnot of animals. And he eventually tracks that back 
to wherever they go. South Africa, I think, which happens to be where the Punisher is. And through a series of wacky events uh, involving a gorilla, Wolverine thinks that Punisher is a poacher and tries to kill him. Yep. And you can really see the Jim Lee and Wolverine's face. I Now that you've said this is Jim Lee, I'm seeing hints of what we will see more of later. Uh, but it's not it's not completely there. Yeah, no, definitely not. It's it's definitely like like we just did early Liefeld. This is this is early Jim Lee. Yeah, Wolverine uh, slashes at Punisher, thinking he has cut him, but Punisher's fast. He notes, uh, and and he gets th- thrown into the water, and Wolverine's like, "Well, there's creatures in there that'll take care of him," and an alligator heads towards the Punisher. In classic Marvel fashion, Wolverine and Punisher misunderstand each other and fight. <laughs> I bet you it will be a stalemate and they'll join forces because Stan Lee's theory was that when you have superhero fighting superhero, there should never be a clear winner. Right. So that's why Stan was the man. Totally. Did you read Marvel Comics Presents 24, the last issue of the Cyclops Retribution Affair and the first issue of Havoc Pharaoh's Legacy? Oh, God. Uh, No, I did not. (laughs) So we got two stories. Please tell me that the Pharaoh's Legacy brings us all the way back to the living Pharaoh. It kind of does. So Cyclops defeats uh, Master Mold. Basically, Conscience is inside of Master Mold and makes him stop doing stuff. Um... And it turns out that Moira was able to best the uh, mind control that Master Mold had her under. And the whole time that she was developing this mutant uh, uh, disease, she was also developing the cure. So she has the cure, uh, which she gives to Banshee. Banshee gets his powers back, which they say in this issue that they're gone, which I didn't realize they were gone. I thought he was just getting old and unable to really use them and they were making him weak and stuff. No, uh, there was a story a long, long time ago where he screamed so much that he had damaged his vocal cords, and he went to Moir or he went to Muir Island to essentially rest and retire. Like he was not able to. He could probably use. I thought. I thought the 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 implication was that he could probably use his powers, but they would be super ineffective and probably unreliable because he was physically damaged. That's what I thought, and okay. and. Here he uses his sonic scream and he's flying around and then he says, whether me power stays or goes, tis, tis of little importance. This ship's still full of the virus. We cannot leave it be. So, I mean, that's that's all we get. <laughs> well, that's interesting because we'll see Banshee back in action soon. Well, of course, which I guess I guess Chris Claremont did not want that to happen. Why would you? I think Chris Claremont's like, no, guys, I'm trying to like characters come and go. Let's like, let's let these things go. And you probably have, you know, it's Marvel. They're like, no, bring that character back. The character's fixed now. Yeah. Cyclops is redeemed. Chris Claremont was all about the story and Marvel was all about keeping things normalized. Although on the other hand, I mean, why would Marvel care if Banshee was in or out of commission, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they could have just permanently left him alone and been like, he was a, you know, a, a B tier character, anyways. Somebody wanted to write a Banshee story, <laughs> and they thought it would make a buck. Well, I guess you're right. So uh, to wrap this up, um, Banshee destroys Master Mold, and Conscious flies Master Mold's spaceship filled with this disease into the sun or something like that, and it explodes. Oh, there's an auto-destruct program. That's what happens. And uh, Conscience sacrifices himself. Conscience, sorry. Thank you. And uh, that's that's the end of that story. So, wait, let me get this straight. Master Mold and Conscience flew into the sun and are destroyed. Well, I guess they didn't fly into the sun. They self-destructed. Yeah, they just self-destructed. I was looking at the images and interpreting them without reading, and then I realized, oh, that's not what happened. So what you're telling me is the takeaways from the story are Banshee gets his powers back, 
and Master Mold is destroyed. Yes. Okay. And yes. So we know, I just spoiled it, Banshee will be back with his powers, but Master Mold is completely gone. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, as much as anybody. I mean, I guess it's conceivable that over the course sure. of, hang on, it's, it's possible that over the course of many, many issues, uh, Master Mold could probably rebuild himself, but um, certainly not anytime soon. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm betting the next time we see Master Mold very soon uh he will have an explanation for this i sure hope so otherwise i want my money back okay all right uh the havoc story involves havoc being in the australian outback and encountering a woman whose name is uh lila i think is it lila shanae it's not lila shanae it's spelled differently than it's i think it's l e i l a uh, Lila, Lila O'Toole hmm. is her name. And he rescues her from some bad guys uh, who are in like some jet fighters shooting at them. Havoc thinks they're after him, but it turns out they're after her. Uh, she rescues him from getting covered by some they, – they drop some goop out of their ship, which I guess would stick him to the his Jeep or something. Anyway, they blow up her car and his – Jeep is destroyed. Uh, so she tells him the story about how she used to be part of this sacrificial cult uh, when she was doing some field work uh, in Egypt for archaeology. And she she decided that the human sacrifices were just too much for her. So she ran away, and now they're trying to catch her. And then the episode ends with Havoc and Leela O'Toole being caught by some... Uh, people in a net i'm not sure if they're the same people because we didn't get a close-up of them before or if they're different people oh i guess we did okay let me see let me compare i still can't tell <laughs> so they're they're caught by somebody and we'll find out next issue are these the same people or are they different people i'm guessing they're different are the same people i want i had a question i want uh uh th that was very interesting adam and i hope to learn more about that story <laughs> <laughs> However, I have a question going back to Excalibur. Um, That's very convincing. <laughs> uh, the, when they're when uh, this, I just I don't know why I just got reminded of this, but uh, it stuck out to me when I read the issue. Uh, when they're talking, when Nightcrawler is uh, teleporting into oh, two things that we we kind of glossed over. Um, the first thing that's actually kind of important is Nightcrawler is like I can only teleport once per day. But does he say once per day? I thought he said. It just made him really tired. He says, one good jaunt per day appears to be my new limit. No sign of any improvement either, even though my physical con condition is excellent. So he has not been overpowered or given additional powers. He Maybe he can teleport multiple times in a day, but like if it's a serious teleport, he only gets like one of those per day. Yeah, so teleporting from New York to San Francisco probably over over <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing he can do. So teleporting like over a series of teleports. I'm assuming it wasn't just one. I, maybe he took a bus. Well, whatever he did, it counts as a jaunt and he can only do one of those a day without being exhausted. I I guess is the idea. Uh but but as they're talking about the Blackbird before that that jaunt um, somebody says, according to the files, this is part of a private research project. Goes back years to Kelly Johnson's time. Stands to reason, Sid. Mr. Johnson designed the original Blackbird. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what any of that was about. Okay, so I I remember a lot of um, non-hero characters, but Kelly Johnson did not ring any bells. I mean, obviously, I thought of Senator Kelly because of Kelly, but right. Kelly, Kelly Johnson and Senator Kelly are presumably not the same. Now, maybe we'll find out. Maybe this is peppering the future. Maybe. As far as I recall, um, the SR-71 Blackbird just kind of appeared in giant-sized X-Men number one. The professor had been working on it for a long time. <laughs> well, that's fine, but there wasn't like, and my X-Men, let me reveal to you the airplane I've been working with with my buddy Kelly Johnson, the Blackbird. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas other things are like, 
Other things like, I have FBI contacts, Fred Duncan, and that was a name, and then they addressed it, and they dealt with it later. Maybe maybe this is a new Fred Duncan. Well, maybe. So that'll do it for us this week. Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.